Good morning. It's good to see you guys. It's good to be here. Excited for our, our second week here in, in this uh, beautiful uh, new space that we have to be able to, to worship together. We're going to continue our series in the book of John. We've been walking through the book of John for the last couple of months. We're going to be in John chapter 5, and we're going to pick up in verse 19. Uh, John is the fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. Um, so you can turn there if you have your uh, Bible with you. We'll be in chapter 5. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. Uh, the words will be on the screen behind me, so you can also follow along there as well. I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version. John chapter 5, verses 19 to 30. So I'm going to read, then I'm going to pray, and then we will dive in. Here's what the Word of God says. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these will He show Him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. And He has given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Let's pray. Oh God, I love you and I thank you for your word. What a glorious passage. What astounding truths we just read. God, um, I pray that you would help us to listen this morning to your word. Give us ears to hear. Because we see right here in this passage that, that there's, a, there's a kind of hearing that doesn't truly hear. And then there's a kind of hearing where it's like a dead person being raised to life when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So help us hear with those kind of ears this morning. God, I pray that you would give us spiritual ears and spiritual eyes to see. Open our eyes, Holy Spirit. God, I pray that we would not come and, and, and sit here and be distracted by all that's going on in our life or what we're going to do for lunch or where we're going to go, but that, God, we would recognize the opportunity we have to hear from the Creator of the universe the King of kings and the Lord of lords, your word is living and active. 
God, you want to speak to each person here. You brought every single person here for a purpose. None of them are here by accident. So, God, I pray that you would open up eyes and ears and help me, God. I, God, I, who is sufficient for these things? God, I, I can't even understand the Bible unless you help me, let alone teach and preach it. God, I need your help. I can't change a single person in here. I am powerless. God, the, the, the truths in this passage are so glorious and so mighty. Lord, I tremble to even handle your word. I need your help. Please help me as I teach and preach. Please help us as we listen. God, if there's anybody here that is not born again, may today be the day of salvation. An hour is coming in is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. May that be today. And God, may none of us leave here the same as when we came in. May you sanctify and build up and change your people as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you were in need of life-saving heart surgery, and I burst into the room and declared that I was qualified to operate on you, you would want to see my credentials, right? Am I educated? Am I board certified? Do I have any experience? These are things that you're going to want to know before I take the scalpel and start cutting you open and doing surgery on you, right? You wouldn't just take somebody's word for it with something so important. Does anybody remember the old Holiday and Express commercials, you know, where like somebody claims to be, this is going to date some people in this room, but where uh, somebody claims to be an expert like a doctor, and then when they're questioned, they're like, well, I'm actually not qualified, but I did stay at a Holiday and Express last night. You guys remember? Uh, so I've actually got one. We're going to cue one up here. It's one of my favorites. So can you guys play that one? What happened? He's been bitten by a snake. Was it brown? It was exactly light. Yeah. Yeah. Is it bad? You. Suck out the poison while I start a fire to cauterize the wound. Lance, let's go. We're shooting the big attack scene. Oh, hey, Pete. Wait, wait, wait. You're not a real cowboy? No. But I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Stay smart. Stay at a Holiday Inn Express. My favorite little detail is the arrows sticking out of his back at the end of that commercial right there. So, in the passage that we just read, Jesus makes some astounding claims about himself. He claims to be able to give life and to have the authority to judge all the earth. And to remind you of the context, Jesus had just made a lame man of 38 years walk by the power of his word. And that was the passage that we looked at yesterday. And he did it on the Sabbath, okay? The Jewish authorities were not exactly pleased. So if you look at verses 16 to 18 of John chapter 5, kind of catch us up and remind us of where we were last week. It says this, it says, This was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus challenged their authority by healing on the Sabbath, and he called God his own father, making himself equal with God. 
And so the religious authorities confronted Jesus about this. Despite the clear signs, they didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. They didn't believe that he was qualified. And the rest of chapter 5, verses 19 to 47, is Jesus' answer to their objections. So we're going to spend the next two weeks, Lord willing, looking at Jesus' response to the objections of the Jewish religious leaders. And today, we'll see that unlike the fake cowboy in the Holiday Inn Express commercial, Jesus actually is qualified to give life and to judge the earth. The basis of those claims that Jesus makes is his identity as the Son of God. He defends his qualification to do these things by pointing to his unique relationship to the Father. So first, I want to show you what Jesus says about his relationship to the Father because that provides the basis to his claim that he alone gives life and is the judge of the earth. And then we're going to talk about the two implications of those two truths, that Jesus gives life and that he is the judge of the earth. That changes everything for everyone in this room. All right, so let's look at Jesus' relationship with the Father first. I want to point out a few things about, uh, that, that Jesus says about his relationship with the Father. First thing is that the Father and the Son are united in purpose. The Father and the Son are united in purpose. All right. In verses 19 and 20, it says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For as the Father, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. So Jesus says that he can do nothing unless the Father who sent him is in, you know, he can only do what the Father who sent him is doing. And then he goes on to say that he's able to do all that the Father does because the Father shows the Son all that he's doing. So the Trinity is a doctrine that often gives us fits. Because when the mind of mortal man attempts to comprehend the invisible, immortal, immeasurable God, we run up against the wall. Both Scripture and the order of creation testify that there is one God who created all things. But the one true God has also revealed himself to us. The Scripture testifies that God is one in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All three members of the Trinity are God, yet they are distinct in their roles. Three persons. So there's not three gods, there's one God. They don't have three minds, but one mind. They do not have three purposes, but one purpose. One God in three persons. The Father and the Son are so united in purpose that whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. And the Father shows the Son all that He is doing. And this isn't new. We saw this in the very first chapter, the very first verses of the book of John. Remember in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 14, said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? Remember that? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who's the Word? Jesus, that's right. So the Word was with God, and the Word was God. One of, one of the strongest points, I think, in this passage 
that helps us to understand the unity and the equality of the Father and the Son is verse 23. Jesus says in verse 23 that the Father has given all judgment to the Son. Why? So that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. So think about this. If Jesus were not God, this would make no sense. Because the Father makes clear in Scripture, you shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only you shall serve. I mean, the first of the Ten Commandments says, you shall have no other gods before me, right? So if Jesus were not God, the Father would not want anyone to honor the Son just as they honor the Father. But Jesus is God. So honoring the Son, far from dishonoring the Father, actually brings greater honor to the Father. So much so that to dishonor the Son is to dishonor the Father. You guys tracking with me? Does that make sense? So the Father and the Son are united in purpose, and they are also unique in their roles. Unique in their roles. They are distinct persons, with each person of the Trinity playing a different role. Jesus said He came to do what He sees the Father doing. So the Father sent the Son into the world, and the Son came to accomplish the will of the Father. And by doing what He sees the Father doing, He reveals the Father to us. I want to make clear here that the Son is not lesser than the Father. He's not a creation of the Father. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God, Colossians 1.16 says. He's the Word made flesh. And so by doing everything that the Father is doing, Jesus is revealing who God is to us. So if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Jesus reveals God. That's one of the primary reasons Jesus came in the flesh. And what does he reveal about God? What is God God doing? Well, remember last week, Jesus said, My Father is at work, and I am also working. Well, God is at work restoring what sin has destroyed. And the Father and Son glorify one another in their activity of restoring all things and reconciling sinners back to God. John chapter 17, verse 2, the night of His betrayal, Jesus prayed this. He said, He was praying to the Father. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that the Son may glorify you. The Son had been glorifying the Father all along. And the Father had been glorifying or making much of the Son. The cross is the culmination of it all. It's the apex. The Father glorifies or makes much of the Son by making Him the locus of salvation, the only source by which we can have life and the just judge. So no one can have life except through Jesus. All will stand before Jesus and give an account to Him. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So by sending the Son, the Father glorifies Jesus by making Jesus the way, the truth, and the life, the locus of salvation. And the Son glorifies the Father by doing the Father's will and by making the Father's love known to us to the fullest extent possible at the cross. In no other way could the love of God be more clear than that He would die for sinners. In this way, Jesus 
glorified the Father because apart from His death on the cross, we could never know the fullest extent of God's love. Do you see how the Father and the Son glorify one another? Jesus is is revealing to us the glory of the Father's love by going to the cross. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrated His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So So Jesus is glorifying the Father and the Father is glorifying the Son. And in the Father and the Son glorifying one another, that overflows and spills over into grace on God's people. Like, isn't that amazing? How in the, in the relationship between the Father and the Son, the way that they love one another, that love spills over onto us. By the way, we too bring glory to God and demonstrate our love for Him when we obey Him. Just like Jesus demonstrated for us. We would all do well to say with Jesus, I only do what I see the Father doing. That's righteousness. Jesus came to fulfill all righteousness, and by only doing what he saw the Father doing, he was fulfilling righteousness. Are you about your Father's business? Or are you entangled in the affairs of the world? I would encourage you to start each day by praying, God, show me where you are at work around me. I want to participate in whatever it is that you're doing today. Show me where you're at work around me, God. The Father and the Son are united in purpose. They're unique in their roles. And they are uniform in authority. They are uniform in authority. So in verse 21, Jesus ratchets things up. So not only does the Father love the Son and show them all that He is doing, but then listen to what Jesus says. He says, Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. And then in verse 22, He says, The Father has given all judgment to the Son. And later on there, a few verses later in verse 26, Jesus clarifies further, He says, The Son has life in Himself. Think about that. The Son has life in Himself. What is Jesus saying there? Well, that's a clear claim to deity. Only God has life in himself. Only God needs nothing for his own existence. This is often called uh, the doctrine of the self-existence of God or the aseity of God. Those of you who are in the missional leadership cohort, this should be ringing a bell from last month. Because Jesus has life in himself, it means that he is dependent on nothing and no one for life and existence. He just is. He has always existed and he always will exist. When Moses asked God for his name, the Lord replied, I am. I am who I am. There is nothing in creation or in the human language that can accurately describe God because God is wholly other than. God is not a greater version of us. He is altogether different from us. This is what it means for God to be holy. It's not just that he's great, he is different. Jesus is not a created being, he created everything. It is Jesus who upholds the universe by the word of his power. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 tells us. So because Jesus has life in himself, he has authority to give life and to judge the earth. Don't take these things for granted, these 
doctrines, these truths. This is the foundation upon which the gospel is built. Now, there, is a, there is a real crisis of theological and biblical illiteracy in the church at large in America. We can't just assume that, hold, that Christians hold sound doctrine. There was a survey that came out just a couple of weeks ago by a ministry called uh, Ligonier Ministries that had some alarming results among self-proclaimed evangelical Christians. I want to read you a few of these, and these would be people who would essentially, you know, they would say like, yes, I believe the gospel. They would um, affirm our statement of faith in the church, essentially. Uh, And so these are the people that responded to the survey. And yet out of evangelical Christians, 30% said that Jesus was a great teacher, but not God. 30% of evangelicals said that Jesus was a great teacher, but not God. 42% said that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Islam, Judaism, Buddhism, etc. 42% of evangelicals. And here's, just listen to this one. 65% of evangelicals agreed with the statement that Jesus is the first and greatest created being by God. Brothers and sisters, Jesus was not created. Two out of every three evangelicals Agreed with that statement. That's actually straight out of the Jehovah's Witness teaching. As your pastors, we want you to know what you believe and why you believe it. Not just to be able to repeat religious platitudes. That's not what we're here to do. If that's what we're here to do, then we should all just go home. If we're just here to, you know, to go through the motions and repeat religious platitudes, I, wanna, I want you to know what you believe. I want you to know why you believe it. I want you to be able to defend it. You know, one of the ways in past days that God's people have been helped is with creeds. Um, Creeds were, at one point, a a very regular part of the life of most churches. Uh, Many churches and traditions still utilize them today. And I I believe that we would do well to utilize them more. A creed is, is a confession of what we believe to be true from Scripture. So a creed doesn't replace Scripture. We believe that God's word is sufficient, okay? A creed is helpful much in the way that a sermon is helpful. It's both an exposition of Scripture and a summary of, of biblical truth, a summary of what we believe. So there are, there are several different great creeds throughout church history. There's the Apostles' Creed, there's uh, the Athanasian Creed, the Nicene Creed. Um, part of the Nicene Creed Uh, that was adopted in 325 A.D. reads like this. And we're actually going to read the whole thing later on in the service. But it says, We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all, all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. So, like in the, in the first several centuries of the church, basically every Christian would know that creed. And so Christians would remind themselves of these things, that Jesus is begotten, not made, that he's of the same essence as the Father. And I believe that creeds can be a helpful tool for us so that we don't get to a place where we have two-thirds of evangelicals saying that Jesus is the greatest created being by the Father. 
aside from creeds, I, I want to give you some practical ways that you can know what you believe, why you believe it, and why it matters. Um, first of all, I mean, and these aren't, like, I'm not going to tell you anything new. I'm not about to blow your mind or anything. These are things that you should probably know. But by way of reminder, I hope to spur you on. First of all, know your Bible. Like, study it. Study it on your own. Study it with other people. Uh, we've tried to create opportunities for you to do that in the life of the church. We've got this coming Saturday. We've got men's uh, Bible study right here at 8 o'clock. That's right, 8 a.m. So the guys get together and are, are going to be uh, studying the Word together. Uh, the ladies... Every, um, on the second and fourth Tuesdays of the month, so this coming Tuesday, uh, the Thrive Women's Ministry, they've been going uh, in-depth through the book of John, and so you can uh, talk to Amanda Thompson or uh, my wife Jen or one of the ladies about that. Um, so that's, enough, that's one of the ways that you can gather with uh, people in the church and you can study the Bible together. Uh, another thing that you should do aside from knowing your Bible is you should study theology. That's not just for pastors. Everyone is a theologian. You're either a good one or a not-so-good one. All theology is is, the, is the, the knowledge of God. It's studying. It's what you believe to be true about God. Everybody holds theology because you believe something about God. Uh, the, I know the elders, like the pastors, we would love to recommend books or resources to you. Uh, if there's a specific uh, you know, doctrine or something that you want to learn more about, uh, you can get with your disciple maker if you have questions about a certain doctrine and dig into that together. You can write us emails. You're never going to bother us. As your pastors, myself, Thomas, Doug, uh, Chad, we want to hear from you. So if you've got questions over specific issues, uh, doctrinal issues, write us an email. Uh, and I can tell you this, if you want, so this is important, remember this, if you want an immediate text back from Pastor Thomas, all you've got to do is ask him a theological question, and I guarantee results. I guarantee you, you will get an immediate text back. I, I've realized, like, when he, I know the text he'll text back right away and the ones that he won't. So if I need an answer, I'll, like, put some theological question in there. So know your Bible, study theology. Third, sing more hymns. Sing more hymns. Hymns of old, and then, like, Blessed Assurance, like we sang earlier, or uh, more modern artists like uh, City of Light, Keith and Kristen Getty, Sovereign Grace Music, all of those artists write scripture-filled hymns that not only bless you, but they teach you as you're singing. And uh, if you enjoy hip-hop like I do, so I love hip-hop, uh, I love Christian hip-hop, uh, check out artists like Shy Lin or Beautiful Eulogy, uh, both of whom beautifully and faithfully teach sound doctrine through their lyrics. So uh, those are some of the artists I'd commend you. If you want more, you can come and ask me afterwards. I've got plenty. But here's the deal, guys. If we don't understand who Jesus is and what he's like, then we're not going to have a foundation for the gospel, okay? Jesus has life in himself. And because of that, he alone is able to give life and to judge the earth. So let's spend the remainder of our time considering those two truths. Now, <laughs> we could easily do a sermon on each one of them. Jesus gives life, and Jesus is the judge of the earth. Easily I could do an entire sermon on each one. Unfortunately, we don't have time, so I'm going to settle for a brief flyover over each of those two. So let's talk about Jesus is able to give us life. Uh, look at verse 24 again with me. Jesus says this, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, 
Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Just as the Father raises the dead, the Son raises the dead because He too has life in Himself. And Jesus says in verse 24 that we receive this life from Him by hearing His Word and believing. So if you want access to the life that is in Jesus, you come to Him by faith alone. And the result of that faith is that we won't pass into judgment, but will pass from death to life. This implies the opposite. It implies that if we do not believe, then we will be condemned and we will face death. That is the default position of every single person apart from Christ. Jesus says in, uh, in John 3.36, He says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. We'll talk about this more in a moment, but the wrath of God is over sinful humanity because those apart from Christ love the darkness more than the light. Every single one of us has rebelled against God and chosen the works of darkness. So you cannot get to Jesus to have life by your works. You've already failed. You've already fallen short. Every single one of us has. Unless you can say with Jesus, I have, for my entire life, I have only done what I've seen the Father doing. Never once have I failed. Always. And every time I've only done what the Father was doing. And the Father has shown me everything that He Himself is doing. None of us can claim that. Only Jesus is righteous. Every single one of us has sinned and fallen short of God's righteous standard, which means that every single one of us needs a Savior. Every single one of us is in need of grace. The good news is that there is much grace to be had. Jesus came that we might have life even though we deserve death. He died on the cross as an atoning sacrifice for our sin, and then He defeated death by rising from the grave. Now, I want you to notice something here in this verse, in verse 24. Notice that Jesus says, he says, whoever hears my word has eternal life. That's a present tense verb. And then he says, he has passed from death to life. So Jesus is, is talking about eternal life as if it's something you already possess if you're a Christian. It's not something God's going to give you one day. You have it now. You have already passed from death to life. What does that mean? Well, in the first place, it means that, I think that Jesus is, is meaning to show us the certainty of it. It's not, a, it's not a probably. There's no guessing as to whether you've done enough. Christ has already done it all. If you are united to Him by faith, then you have life, because in Him is life. The only thing you need to do is be attached to Jesus. Jesus has life in Himself. There's nothing else you need. There's nothing else you need to do. You don't need to add works onto it. You just need to be attached to Jesus. And that is by faith alone. If you have faith like a child, if you have faith like a mustard seed, it doesn't have to be a lot of faith. It doesn't have to be great faith. It's just got to be a little bit of faith. It's not about how much faith you can muster. It's about the object of your faith. It's not about how great your faith is. It's about how great the one in whom your faith is placed is. And he is very great. 
This is why it says you won't come into judgment, but you've already passed from death to life. This is what we remind ourselves of when we take the Lord's Supper. We're declaring that we believe this to be true, that we're united with Christ in His death and resurrection. So when we eat the bread and when we drink the juice, representing the body and the blood of Jesus, we're saying, I believe I'm united to Jesus, so that when Jesus died 2,000 plus years ago, He took my judgment in my place. By faith, my judgment day has already come and passed, and I will never be judged for my sin, since Jesus already was. Is that true of you? Are you? Do you have a part in Jesus? Have you placed your faith in Him? Are you united to Him? Do you have certainty that you have already passed from death to life? There's no question that you could ever answer that's more important. This also means that if you have placed your faith in Jesus, when, when Jesus says you have passed from death to life, it means that you have new spiritual life now. In verse 25, Jesus says, An hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. In that verse, he's not referring to the physically dead, but the spiritually dead. For Christians, you were once dead in your trespasses and sins but God made you alive in Christ Jesus. So spiritually, we were dead. We were dead to the things of God. We could not see. We were blind and enslaved to our sin. But at some point, God in His sovereign grace opened your eyes, gave you spiritual sight, gave you a heart of, that was soft and tender and repented of your sin and gave you the gift of faith to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. And this spiritual resurrection that Jesus is talking about here, it foreshadows our bodily resurrection. So, if you've been raised from the dead spiritually, if you have a new heart, if you have new life, if God has changed you from the inside out, that means you will be raised bodily from the dead at Jesus' return. If you have not been raised from the dead spiritually, you will not be raised from the dead bodily. You must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. So for Christians, eternal life has already started. If you, are a, if you are a Christian, you will never die in the ultimate sense. Unless Jesus comes back first, then yes, our bodies will die and we will be buried. But Christians will not taste the second death. Our bodies go into the ground, but at the return of Jesus... Christians will be raised bodily from the dead to everlasting life in the new heavens and the new earth. Paul describes death for Christians like falling asleep in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And when Jesus returns, he's going to wake us up. Jesus says in John eleven twenty five, he says, Whoever believes in me, though he dies, the first death, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Does this make sense? So, unless Jesus comes back first, you will die and you will go into the ground. Your body will. 
but your spirit, your soul will continue to live, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. You will be with the Lord immediately, and upon Jesus' return, your body will be raised up from the ground. Everybody will be raised up from the ground upon Jesus' return, and everybody will stand before the Lord. And those who have done good, as Jesus says, will go to the resurrection of judgment, will be judged, and will be cast out of Jesus' presence. And those who are raised, those who have trusted in Jesus will be raised to life. Here's a few ways this truth applies to believers right now that I want to give you. First of all, live like you're new. Live like you are new. Because you are, if you're a Christian. The old self is dead. You've been raised to walk in new life. So don't live according to the flesh. You have, you've been spiritually raised from the dead. It's a foreshadowing of your bodily resurrection. So live as one who's been spiritually raised from the dead. Don't walk in the works of darkness any longer. Don't live in a pattern of sin. That's not who you are as a Christian. Romans chapter 13 verse 12 says, The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Second implication is that you need to live like you're new, and secondly, you do not have to fear death. To die is gain for the Christian. So often, Christians act as if they are not going to live forever. Too many people live in the fear of death, in the fear of disaster, in the fear of sickness. We don't have to live in fear of anything, brothers and sisters. We are alive forevermore. You are going to be raised bodily from the dead and given a new body. We don't have to be afraid. This life is not all we get. We're free to lay this life down sacrificially in service to King Jesus because we're going to be raised to walk forever with Him, with new body. No more sin, no more death, no more sickness. We need a church full of fearless Christians who testify that we believe we're going to be raised from the dead. We need a church of fearless Christians who live differently from the world. We don't need to be afraid of death like the world is afraid of death because we have hope they don't have. We need to walk in that hope so that they'll ask us about the hope that's in us. Why do you live that way? Why aren't you afraid of death? Why do you have so much joy in the midst of trials and sorrows? Because I'm going to live forever. Because Jesus is alive. He's He's been risen from the dead. And I have been united to him by faith. That's a powerful testimony, church. You don't have to fear death. And you can face judgment day with with confidence. You do not need to fear God's displeasure because your judgment day has already come and gone for all of your sin. Past, present, and future. The psalmist writes that our sin has been removed from God's mind as far as the east is from the west. In the new covenant that God prophesies through Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31. This is the promise he makes to us as his people. He says, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. That's God's promise to us as his people. I will remember your sin no more. You don't have to fear judgment. You do not have to 
fear God's displeasure if you are in Christ because Christ took the Father's displeasure for you. Jesus alone is able to give life, and Jesus also has the authority to judge the earth. In verses 27 to 29, it says that Jesus says, He has given, the Father has given authority to the Son to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So Jesus came the first time as the humble Savior entering Zion riding on a donkey's colt. He will return as the resurrected Lord riding on a white horse. God is patiently and graciously giving people time to repent. It's why He sent His Son. But a day of reckoning is coming. A day when all people will be raised to judgment to give an account to Jesus. Jesus is the prophesied Son of Man from Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. The one whose dominion is everlasting and whose kingdom will never be destroyed. It's really quite simple, um, but it's so important that you hear this. So I hope that you guys are listening and tuning in to this portion of the sermon right here, right now. Upon His return, upon Jesus' return, the dead will be raised to judgment at the sound of His voice. The living and the dead, both small and great, will all stand before Him. Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, uh, paints a picture for us. Before the great white throne, it says that, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. So I want you to picture the scene, the great white throne, the whiteness and purity of the throne so bright that we can't even look at it, the glory of which we can't even comprehend in a sea of people. A sea of people before the throne. Everyone who's ever lived. Everyone in this room will be there. I will be there. You will be there. Everyone will be there on that day. And there will be a book open. And that book is the deeds of what every single person has done. It's the, it's, it's the deeds of, that are a reminder that God will keep an account of all the deeds that we have done. And it will be read out loud. Every single person will be there. And Jesus says the basis of the judgment will be whether you have done good or evil. He says, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now, wait a minute, you might say. I thought we were saved by grace through faith. What is, why are we going to be judged by what we've done? Why does Jesus say that those who have done good will go to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil will go to the resurrection of judgment? Why does Revelation 20 say that we will be judged according to what we've done? What's up with that? Well, you are saved by grace through faith. But the fruit of your life, your actions, is the evidence of your faith. All those who truly believe are raised to new life. And as a result, they will do good through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit who now indwells them. So, Christians, while... We are not 
perfect and we will never be perfect, we begin to live new lives. Because the old heart of stone is taken out and a new heart of flesh is put in, God gives us the desire and the ability to do the things that are pleasing to Him. There ought to be a growing hatred of sin in your life and a growing love for God and a desire to please God in your life that should mark you, which will evidence itself in works, in good works. Judgment ultimately comes down to one thing. It comes down to what will you do with Jesus? Will you place your your trust in Him or will you reject Him? But I want, you to, I want to take you to John chapter 3, verse 19 and 21 real quick. See, John 3, 19 says this. It says that this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Who's the light? Jesus. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. Do you see the connection there? to evil works and a rejection of Jesus. So John 3.19 explains that those who reject the light do so because they love the darkness more than the light. They love evil works more than Jesus. So their lifestyle reflects it. They live a life that is not pleasing to God and they reject Jesus. But then listen to verse 21, two verses later. It says, But whoever does what is true, good deeds comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So those who love and embrace the light, who love and embrace Jesus, their lives will be marked by doing what is true, by good works. Again, does not mean perfection, but it means a pattern of growing in Christ's likeness in your life. We all are going to continue to fall short. That's why God invites us in 1 John 1, 9. He says, if you confess, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can freely come to God as a child of God, and He continues to pour out mercy and grace on you. But you know what I found? One of the, one of the big differences between somebody who's born again, somebody who's a Christian, and somebody who's not, is that born-again Christians are bothered by their sin. People who are not are not. People who are apathetic to the sin, the ongoing sin in their life, I'm concerned about those people. If that's you, I'll be honest, I'm concerned about you. I can't see your heart, and ultimately God is the only one who can judge. But if you can go on continuing in the works of darkness, then don't take my word for it. Take John chapter 3, verse 19 for it. That does not bode well. You need to wake up this morning and repent. And you need some conviction. You need the knife of God's word to come into your life and wake you up. Because I don't want you to unknowingly just march into, into eternity separated from God. There are many people, there are many people in our country and around the world, but in our country who have deluded themselves with this idea that if I'm a cultural Christian, if I go to church every now and again and I say the right things, that that's somehow going to cover it. And I can continue to live in sin. Brothers and sisters, no, you cannot continue to live in willful disobedience to God as a child of God. The Holy Spirit's not going to let you. He's going to bother you. He's going to make you miserable because He loves you. Just like a parent would not allow their child to continue running out in the middle of the street. Why? Because you love your child. You don't want them to die. You don't want them to perish. 
Well, if you are a child of God, the Father does not want you to perish, so He will discipline you if you are straying away because He loves you and He will finish the work He started in you. He'll do whatever it takes to fully sanctify you and bring you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy on the last day. He will do it. Just ask Jonah. So judgment is based on whether or not you embrace the light, which is Jesus. I'll kind of wrap this point up by reading you a quote from John Bunyan, who is a Puritan. He wrote Pilgrim's Progress. He said, At the day of judgment, men shall be judged according to their fruits. It will not be said them then, did you believe, but were you doers or talkers only? So my question for you this morning is, are you prepared for Jesus' return? Are you prepared right now? An hour is coming, Jesus says. It's coming at a, at a time when we don't know. Have you trusted in Christ alone for your salvation? Are you playing games with sin and flirting with darkness? Let me urge you to flee from it this morning. If you're living in darkness right now, come to Jesus. He is merciful and freely invites you to come and receive life. And maybe you're sitting there saying, Jared, I don't know if I can come to him anymore. You, I'm feeling so guilty right now. You have no idea how far I've strayed. You have no idea, Jared, what I've done. Let me tell you, Jesus is a sufficient sacrifice. There is nothing you've done that can keep you from him. There is nothing, even if you're doing it right now, even if you've got wicked thoughts going through your mind right now, you can call on the name of the Lord Jesus. Say, Jesus, save me from these wicked thoughts. Save me from this lifestyle. I want to change, but I can't change myself. I need you to make me new, and he'll do it if you call on him. I promise you he'll do it. You can do it right here, right now. He'll give you that new heart and new spirit, just like he did to me 10 years ago. Praise God. Ten years ago, I called on Jesus. I said, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. I'll give up anything you call me to for the rest of my life. Just don't let me be this person anymore. I'm tired of living in sin. I want to follow you now. Help me to change. And he changed me. And he'll change you. Brothers and sisters, believers in the room, for you, in light of the certainty of coming judgment, I need to ask, is there anyone in your life right now that is going unwarned? You and I have no power to save anybody. I can preach my heart out up here. I can plead with you. I can do whatever. I can't save anybody. Only God can do that. Only the Holy Spirit can open eyes. But God forbid that one of our loved ones passes into eternal torment without having been warned and pleaded with by us who know, who know the truth. God forgive us, and I'm talking about myself here too, for apathetic, complacent hearts that fail to consider the gravity of eternity. May we boldly and selflessly warn people of coming judgment and proclaim that Jesus is able to freely give life and he wants to. And may we freely invite those in our life, those we care about, to, to partake of that life by trusting in Jesus. Jesus has life in Himself. And because of that, He is uniquely qualified to give life and to judge the earth. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. 
and we're going to respond to today's message by taking the Lord's Supper together. Um, and Pastor Thomas is going to come up as well, uh, and he's going to uh, be leading us through the Lord's Supper this morning. Uh, let me pray for us as the team comes up and as Thomas makes his way forward. Father, I thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you for the gospel. God, I am... Lord, I pray that, just like that alarm going off right now, that you would wake anybody up in this room that needs to be woken up spiritually. God, I pray that you would give spiritual sight, that you would shake us out of our slumber, God, those who are walking in darkness. And Lord, I pray that for those of us who are believers, that, God, that we would be shaken out of the slumber of just getting distracted by all these things on our calendar, so much to do, and we, and we walk right past people all the time who we have not told about coming judgment and who we have not told about and, and pleaded with to come to Jesus that they may have life. God, I pray that that alarm would go off in our hearts and in our souls this morning. God, I pray that for your people this morning, for the believers in this room, that you would give them great confidence that because they are united to you, Jesus, by faith, that they will not taste death and they will not come into judgment. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. May that produce joy, unspeakable joy in this church and in the hearts of believers here in this room. God, may we be a joyful, fearless, peace-filled church because we believe these things are true. What good news. What good news. Be with us, God, as we partake of the Lord's Supper together and as we reflect upon the body of Jesus broken for us and the blood of Jesus shed for us so that we could be united to you, so that we could have eternal life. What a gift. What a precious gift. Thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.